0: Second's flat. Give me up. Running Podcast. Bill! Bill! I'm down Bill! I'm down i he i Hi friends, welcome into mile 82 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. C.S. Lewis told us, you are never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. Today's episode is about the steps we take, not necessarily specific workouts, but rather practical approaches to the entirety of our training as learned from the best to reach that next goal and to reach excellence whatever excellence might be in the context of your own running experience. Before we begin, we've had a few significant moments in the world of track and field and road racing recently that I'd like to get you caught up on. First, how about Desi Linden? The 2018 Boston Marathon champ and two-time Olympian became the first woman to break three hours for covering 50 kilometers. With a time of two hours, 59 minutes, and 54 seconds, Lyndon bested Allie Dixon's previous world record by over seven minutes. She tackled the distance on a bike path in Oregon at a race set up by her shoe sponsor Brooks after her planned attempt in South Africa was canceled due to COVID restrictions. Des celebrated with a first pitch at the Red Sox game to honor Patriots Day and what would usually be Marathon Monday. Instead, we'll wait till October for the next running of America's most historic 26.2 mile race, but we did get to see the Sox in some neat blue and yellow marathon tribute uniforms for the weekend, and Des announced she'll be in the field this fall for the 2021 Boston Marathon. Also last week, the Great One returned to marathoning as Elliot Kipchoge claimed victory at the Mission Marathon with a 2.04.30 return from his defeat at last fall's London Marathon. Kipchoge controlled the race as he tuned up for the Tokyo Games. The GOAT appears to have regained form and sure looks like he has reestablished himself as the favorite for another Olympic crown. And in other Tokyo news, we won't be seeing world champ Christian Coleman in the 100-meter dash at the Summer Games. The star sprinter and heavy favorite for gold had his suspension reduced but upheld and won't be eligible for competition again until late 2021. Coleman initially faced a 24-month ban for missing three drug tests in the span of a year. Although the Athletics Integrity Unit cited circumstances for reducing Coleman's suspension, he remains ineligible for Tokyo. America's fastest man won't be in the blocks, opening up another opportunity for young gun Noah Lyles, and possibly also the 39-year-old ageless wonder Justin Gatlin, who looked good in a meet in Gainesville, Florida last week. Next, the new spring edition of Pace Magazine is out in stores now. I hope you'll pick up a copy and support the great work our friends do at Pace. I'm continually impressed by the quality of articles from all of the Pace contributors. In this volume, you can read our new article entitled, The Man Who Changed the Marathon, Sammy Wanjiru, The Greatest Final Mile, and the 10th Anniversary of an Icon's Tragic Death. Also, if you're from outside the area, consider a Pace Magazine subscription. For one year at $25 or two years for 40, you can have the magazine delivered to your mailbox. Just visit www.thepacemagazine.com backslash subscribe. Okay, let's move on to our main topic, demanding excellence. Many of these points come from a distillation of ideas shared by guests here. When combined with a survey of writings and training logs, we get a framework for the elements all of us can apply in our pursuit of greatness, regardless of our genetic composition. Let's open with a critical starting point. First, it's essential that you decide on the fundamental direction of your goals direction determines destination are you running for fitness or are you running for performance the two are not mutually exclusive as increasing your basic fitness level can improve performance and conversely a commitment to excellence can yield better health body composition and confidence however the two paths also diverge at times As Coach Richie Hansen noted in Mile 75, focused strength training aids in resisting neuromuscular fatigue late in a distance race, decreases injury risk, and it helps improve your running economy. But time spent consistently on heavy lifts like bench press and squat instead of running can add bulk, compromising aerobic efficiency. Or a streak of running every day keeps you active, Develops routine and builds mental fortitude. But what if you're on the precipice of injury or in need of rest after an exceptionally hard race? Some minds and bodies respond well without a break. Others desire a period of cross training. And still others seek a period of total rest. Elliot Kipchoge, the greatest marathoner ever, has taken breaks from running of up to three weeks after his biggest victories you might be sacrificing a future breakthrough for the sake of saying you have a long daily run streak. If the streak is the most important thing to you, then that's okay. But if excellence in racing is your goal, then make the decision that fosters that outcome. And that's the essence of knowing why you are running. Differentiate the fitness outcome from the performance outcome. Excellence requires it. As iconic UCLA coach John Wooden taught us, never mistake activity for achievement. If we're committed to the performance path and making training decisions accordingly, we are led to point number two an obsession over the day to day. We're not talking about training controlling your life, rather, we're highlighting the importance of you controlling your training. Do what the day requires and do it to the absolute best of your ability. If it's recovery, then don't press faster just because you feel like you can. If it's 10K pace, but you think you could complete the reps at 5K pace, understand that might create a totally different outcome than the day's intended stimulus. But if the plan just calls for running hard and you can muster 5K effort, then go for it. Value and prioritize each day and its position relative to what you've previously done as well as what is planned for the coming days. And this way we model Coach Chip Kelly's motto of winning the day as we referenced a couple episodes ago. Let me read a more complete version of one of Coach Kelly's win the day quotes. Everybody has the same amount of time during the day. You either spend your time or invest your time. Run from being good. Chase being great. Win the day. This process-oriented, detail-focused approach echoes the style of Coach Nick Saban, one of the most successful football coaches of all time. Saban encourages his athletes to focus, simplify, and pursue mastery. Don't think about winning the national championship, Saban says. Think about what you need to do on this drill, on this rep, in this moment. That's the process. Let's think about what we can do today, the task at hand. 209 marathoner Scott Fauble has addressed skillfully executing each run in his training logs. On days between his challenging workout sessions, Fobble's coach, Ben Rosario, often assigns 10 miles at an easy pace or 10 miles easy in the morning as part of a 10-4 double. Fobble notes that 70 minutes feels like the perfect time for him to cover 10 miles. He doesn't need to go any faster. While that might sound fast to the recreational runner, Consider that it's two minutes and five seconds per mile slower than his marathon PR pace. He could easily run faster, likely significantly faster, but understands it's not what the day requires. In mile 55, Craig Engels shared with us a similar lesson from his training. While he loves to rip a hard workout, typically for him on Tuesdays and Fridays, and the fast, steady Sunday long run is his favorite day of the week, Craig told us those efforts are only possible because of his willingness to run seven or even eight-minute pace on his easy days. Again, this is a 3.51-miler running twice that pace when the day calls for it. Fobble and Engels are in tune with mastering the minutiae of even the easiest days in their calendars. We might not compete at their levels, but we can master those details as well ourselves. In The Art of War, Sun Tzu wrote, In battle, there are only the normal and extraordinary forces, but their combinations are limitless. Ponder and deliberate before you make a move. Many calculations lead to victory, and few calculations lead to defeat. With this in mind, we build from our first two points and recognize that even when we know the direction of our goals and prioritize the process, we're still faced with an endless buffet of training options. How do we know what to choose for ourselves or the athletes we help? Here again, the experience of elite athletes and coaches teaches us to keep our compass set to our third principle. Work on what is race relevant. If you're training for a 5K, are significant amounts of cycling, 50K long runs, or chasing Strava segments race relevant? Sure, each could elevate fitness levels. But if we are pursuing excellence in performance, These seem far less relevant than other training options. No coach better epitomizes this value than legendary Greater Boston Track Club guide Bill Squires. Squires made a career of producing Boston Marathon champions like Bill Rogers, Alberto Salazar, and Greg Meyer. He focused training around the skills required for success on the Boston course. Two of the most well-known examples are his surging, fartlek-style long runs and his race simulation long runs over the Newton Hills. Squires' local athletes intimately knew the undulations from lower Newton Falls through Heartbreak Hill. They had charged these ascents and descents with race-like efforts. Before the infamous 1982 duel in the Sun, Squires added Dick Beardsley to his stable of athletes. Beardsley, from Minnesota, had trained on Atlanta's Rolling Hills as Boston Prep, but Squires summoned Dickey to Boston for repeats up and over Heartbreak Hill from both sides. ZAP Fitness coach Pete Ray is among our current successful marathon coaches carrying on the Squires' legacy by consistently incorporating surging long runs in his marathon training. Ray has taken less heralded athletes like Tyler Pinnell to U.S. championships and top 10 Olympic finishes by using this training staple to mimic the demands of race day. While mastering the terrain and tactics necessary for your race are critical, this point does not mean all your work is race-pace specific. My argument is for race-relevant work, of which race-specific work is only one element. What other elements might this include? Well, volume matters. Regardless of distance in any endurance event, a well-thought-out, consistent, and sustainable increase in total running is race-relevant as you improve aerobic output, running economy, and the ability of tendons and ligaments to handle impact. We're not advocating a one-size-fits-all approach to mileage, but rather the premise that more mileage could be race-relevant for you. If you're training for marathons on an average of just 25 miles a week, there's no question aiming for a progression to 30 or 40 miles could help in chasing excellence. Take the example of Ryan Root, who joined us in mile 25. Ryan knocked on the door of the Olympic trials standard for several years. After reflection, he decided greater volume could provide the missing piece of his puzzle, and he translated that into a huge personal best at the Houston Marathon. Moreover, working faster than race pace is another race-relevant element as it provides relevant gains in economy. We've advocated for short hill sprints as one mechanism for accomplishing this improvement. In his text, Running Science, author and coach Owen Anderson notes that running economy is to a large extent a function of running specific strength and coordination. And later he continues, science tells us that improving one's strength at high speeds does translate well to lower speeds. If the nervous system can handle a very difficult task at high speed, it should be able to do the same thing when things gear down our fourth and final high performance lesson for demanding excellence of ourselves is knowing and applying the difference between explanations and excuses excuses are the province of average athletes however there are real explanations for our performances and we need to come to terms with those reasons for failure or success Reflect and reevaluate the training and racing tactics that lead to each result. Realizing that you miscalculated the hydration and or nutrition plan for a super humid race is far more productive than simply asserting, ah, I never perform well in the heat. Finding honest explanations helps us craft a better plan of attack for the next competition. It may require looking in the mirror and admitting things we don't want to admit about our abilities or our training history. You can't always blame getting sick on race day every time you fail to perform. Take ownership and get better prepared for the next attempt. As Alyssa Bloomquist told us in Mile 57, she had every opportunity to make excuses before her breakthrough marathon. With a newborn baby, no one would have blamed Alyssa for taking a break or setting lower standards. Instead, she took the baby stroller to the track, better managed her time, and used the challenge to drive her rather than demoralize her. The difference between explanations and excuses may seem obvious, but it takes a mature athlete to appreciate the distinction when the two begin to blur, like when you actually do have that day when you get sick. Last fall at the London Marathon, Elliot Kipchoge shocked the running world when he for once didn't win. It came out after the race that he had suffered from an ear blockage. Kipchoge's unshakable confidence allowed him to accept defeat, graciously congratulate the victors, and compartmentalize the experience as a one-off event that was truly impacted by his health. As another example, in the cold, wet Windy conditions of Boston 2018. Galen Rupp struggled before eventually just stepping off the course. Yet, three weeks later, he returned to action and won the Prague Marathon. Rupp's preparation told him the disappointing race was at least in part a product of the conditions. He had done the work and proven his toughness. There weren't glaring holes in the training that explained his failure. It was truly just an awful weather day. As an aside, remember that both winners that day, Yuki Kawauchi and Des Linden, were runners with slightly higher body mass numbers who possibly suffered less in the extreme elements. Because both Rupp and Kipchoge have multiple Olympic medals and major marathon crowns to their names, they could recognize the explanations and use those lessons to feed future success. They've run the hard miles. They've gone to the dark places where the more feeble-minded runner might question why he or she is out there. They've demanded excellence of themselves on every occasion. They've been to that mountaintop and then expected even more from themselves. In this way, Rupp, Kipchoge, and the countless other athletes and coaches that we've referenced in this episode epitomize Coach Joe Hill's quote that excellence becomes a style of life and not the exception. So there you have our four mindset cues that the elites have shown us time and again are required for excellence. Decide the direction of your goals and delineate between fitness and performance because direction determines destination. Obsess in the process, work on what is race relevant, and understand the difference between explanations and excuses. If we can do that, then for us too, excellence becomes a style of life and not the exception. I'll close by calling on the memory of the space program in the 1960s. Nike referenced it in their lead up to the sub two hour marathon attempt, calling breaking two a moonshot experiment. Speaking at Rice University in 1962, President Kennedy commented, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do these other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Demanding excellence from our running is an audacious challenge, one with remarkable rewards along the journey and at the finish line. That's all for mile 82 of Seconds Flat. We hope you enjoyed the program, and if so, please subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. Everyone have a great week, and we will see you here next time on Seconds Flat.